In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What are the kiddos up through the... Wait a minute, 12th graders. 12th grade, please come forward. <laughs> Missed. morning. How you? You good? Y'all good? Uh, you ever been up on a mountain? Yeah. What, skiing or what? Hiking. hiking. You've been hiking on a mountain? Like way up on a mountain? Uh-huh. Did you have to get ropes and stuff and climb the mountain? No. <laughs> Jesus went up on a mountain. You think they had to use ropes and stuff to get up to the top of the mountain? You don't think so? Um, what happened, do you, re, listening to the gospel, what happened when Jesus got up on the mountain? Anybody remember? First Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah were up there. I guess they were sleeping up there all that time. I didn't, what do you think? You think they were sleeping up there all that time? Uh-huh. Up on top of the mountain and when Jesus came up, he woke them up and there they were? Uh-huh. You think so? Hundreds of years later, you think they were just sleeping up there? No, you don't. You know you don't think that. But they were up there in a vision. Have you ever seen a vision of have you ever seen a vision of God? Anybody ever have a vision of God? Have you seen ever seen God? Has God ever made Himself available to you? Aware made you aware of Him being right there? Yeah, you've seen that part true, right? How so? Do you do you remember anything? No, but he but he comes to, but he makes himself aware. He makes you aware of his presence, right? Yeah. But you, have you ever seen a vision like of Moses and Elijah or Jesus or God? You ever seen anything like that? Ever, 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 never. Well, I guess I have to say I haven't either. I've heard God's voice. I've heard God's voice, and God, God was very clear with me one night, many, many, many years ago, very clear what he wanted me to do. And I listened, and I obeyed, and it took me a long time to get to where he wanted me to be, but that was all in God's timing, not my timing. But I think if we, make our, if we know that God presents himself to us and sometimes gives us this wonderful experience of seeing him or, or hearing him, you know what that can do? That can change our lives. It changed my life. It changed my life completely. And I, I'm going to talk in the other sermon how it changed Peter and James and John's life completely when they saw that wonderful experience of, of Jesus on the mountain and Moses and Elijah. When God presents himself to us in these wonderful, holy ways and if we're attentive enough to listen and to see then God changes our lives because of what we see and what we hear so always keep your ears open keep your eyes open most of all keep your hearts open to hear what God has to say to you because he will change your life your life is already changed probably to some degree just by being with the body of Christ right 
And God may have presented himself to you in some way already that might have changed your life just a little. But all through your life, God's going to present himself to you. And if you're attentive and aware, your life will continue to be changed toward him and his glory and his kingdom. That's what God, that's how God works. The devil works opposite of that. God, the devil takes you away from God. But when you're listening to, the, to, to God, he will always bring him to yourself just a little bit closer. Just like he did with Peter and James and John on the mountain that day. Think about these things, okay? 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 Okay. All right. Go get a packet from Mr. Music if you want to, or go sing, or go back wherever you're going. So I have an oldie but goodie So the 7.30 crowd. At least it's not a newie but baddie. <laughs> but this is an oldie but goodie. There's a priest and two of his deacons, they were out on the river fishing in a rowboat. At 12 o'clock rolls around and one of the deacons notices a nice spot over there on the bank where they can have their picnic lunch. And so they row over somewhat close to the bank to eat. Well, the deacon, the first deacon, he stands up in the boat. He steps out on the river and he walks over to the bank. And the priest looks at him with amazement and thinks to himself, if the deacon's holy enough to do that, surely I can do that. Well, the other deacon, he stands up, picks up the picnic basket, steps out of the boat, walks on the water over to the bank and sits with the first deacon. And again, to his amazement, the priest thinks, if the second deacon is holy enough to walk on water, surely I can. Well, the priest, he stands up, steps out of the boat, and sinks into the water immediately. And the first deacon turns to the second deacon and says, you think we should have told him where the rocks are? <laughs> oldie but goodie, oldie but goodie. Today, this is the uh, last Sunday of the season of Epiphany. And on this uh, particular Sunday, every year on this last Sunday of Epiphany, we always have the lesson from the Transfiguration in the Gospel, one of the Gospels. Uh, Transfiguration, the Feast of Transfiguration is always August 6th, but on this particular Sunday, at the end of the Epiphany season, where we talk about light, we end with Jesus just dazzling white with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. But before I go to that particular story, I think it's important to place what is about to happen within the context of Mark's gospel. In St. Mark's gospel, Jesus heals a blind man before the mountaintop experience. And then Jesus heals a blind man after the mountaintop experience. And Mark seems to be pointing out that when it comes to seeing who Jesus is, there's a whole lot of blindness going on. And immediately before the mountaintop transfiguration, Jesus had asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? 
And Peter declares, you are the Messiah. In other words, you are the one God has anointed to be our new king, to restore our people to prominence and prosperity as it was enjoyed under King David. And Peter's answer was right, but it was also wrong. Peter thinks he sees, but he too is blind. Jesus goes on to explain what being God's Messiah is going to mean. I, Jesus says, I am going to have to suffer. And I'm going to be rejected by the religious establishment. And I'm going to die. But the way Peter sees things, Jesus has it all wrong. And so Peter, he gets straight in Jesus' face and he says, no, Jesus. God's Messiah will be immune to suffering and misery, and he will save us from suffering and misery as well. To which Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus rebukes Peter. And then Jesus says to Peter, come up with us on the mountain. And so the story of the transfiguration starts out ordinary enough. Jesus and his three closest disciples, Peter and James and John, they go up on a high mountain. Nothing unusual. Jesus often went off from the crowds to get some rest, to say his prayers, to talk to his father, to receive answers. All very ordinary in our Gospels. But from here on out, ordinary ends. Because no sooner do they arrive than Jesus is suddenly transfigured. As the text has it, his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. So this is not only out of the ordinary, but is absolutely out of this world, which is, of course, precisely what the story is trying to convey. And if that's not out of the ordinary enough, two of faith's most honored heroes suddenly appear by Jesus at his side. Moses, the great lawgiver, Elijah, the prophet par excellence, the law, the prophets, they come together to Jesus in whom both the law and the prophets are brought together in Jesus This is both literally and figuratively a mountaintop experience. It's no wonder Peter and James and John are terrified. That's what the Bible says. They are terrified. But of course, a little terror never stopped Peter from speaking up. For lack of any other ideas, he suggests erecting three shrines to commemorate the event. It's a big enough deal so far. But now a cloud begins to overshadow the whole mountain. The damp air closes in. All the world slips away into kind of a grayness. And then the voice of God echoes around them saying, This is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. Dazzling, white clothing, Visits from faith heroes of the past, hovering clouds, heavenly voices. Wow, what an experience. 
it was so extraordinary that when it was all over and Jesus and Peter and James and John were headed back down the mountain, Jesus told them to tell no one about what they had seen. There are specific reasons in Mark's gospel for Jesus to say that. Something that biblical scholars call the messianic secret. It's not time to let people know this yet. They will misunderstand. But who would have believed it anyway? But I tell you what, the three of them believed it. They had been there. And those moments on that mountaintop would forever mark their lives and changed the way they looked at everything. Listen to what Peter writes. We just read it in the epistle reading. He wrote it later in life. I mean, he obeyed Jesus' command. They didn't tell anybody, but when Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended, he wrote it all down. For what we did not, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And Peter says, we ourselves, we heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So that mountaintop experience, it changed their lives. Certain wow moments just have a way of doing that. For all of us. Upon that mountain, they had been given nothing less than a glimpse into the future and into the past. They saw past the suffering and the death of Jesus, which the Master had talked about just a few days before. They saw past their doubts, they saw past their fears. They still didn't get it all, but that vision gave them a clue. For one brief shining moment, God had cracked the door all the way to the end of time. And they had seen how history would be worked out. And they would never be the same again, having taken that ride up the mountain with Jesus. Wow. What do you think? If you've had those experiences or any kind of experience like that or when you do have an experience like that or when you will have an experience like that, how does that affect, affect your view of the present? It changes, doesn't it? When you know what's going to happen down the road, when you know your destiny, it changes your present. Now, I read an article recently of a minister by the name of Bryce Hughes who worked full-time in a hospice program. He has been at the bedside of many people who have had experiences of seeing past the veil. He writes, among our hospice, we frequently explained this with the metaphor that as one nears death, the boundary between this life and the next life becomes thinner and more permeable. We've had our patients report lots of visits. Several of them have reported visits from Jesus. Others have visits from family members who have passed on. In the over 300 deaths in our hospice, 
All of the near-death experiences have resulted in an increase in the sense of peace. One patient, he continues, one patient I became particularly close to had a typical experience. While he was in the hospital, his heart stopped. An aggressive intervention returned his heartbeat, and when I came back on shift the next day, he had been moved over to ICU. As I entered his bay room, his face broke into this big grin, and the first words out of his mouth were, I have seen the light. He described a fairly typical near-death experience, a bright light, an overwhelming sense of peace. The upshot of this was that he insisted his doctor issue a do-not-resuscitate order. To get his doctor to make him a no-code, he practically had to twist the doctor's arm. He was that convinced by what he had witnessed. There's a part of me that wishes that everyone, all of us, could have that kind of wow experience, not the near-death experience, but somehow just seeing past the veil. And I know that many of you have had that kind of experience already. But I think most of us have a hope that we will have or continue to have some kind of wow experience. I think there are many people in our pews who are just waiting for the next mountaintop experience. But we realize that we don't live up here on the mountaintop. We live in the valley. You might remember Peter and James and John, they were there with Jesus because they had been invited to be there with Jesus. There were nine other disciples who were not invited. I suspect the reason is that some might have been ready and some might not have been ready. Some needed that experience for whatever reason, maybe to build the church through Peter, James, and John. Others didn't need it at that time. So let me make a few suggestions that we might be ready for that, that, that mountaintop experience that might come our way when it comes. First, I think we need to make ourselves available. Peter and James and John, they were invited up the slope because they were already in the company of Jesus. They made themselves available to Jesus, his three closest companions. The company of Jesus in the year 2024 is right here with your church family, the body of Christ in this place, in this community. This is where we make ourselves available to God. Yes, out there as well, but most especially in here. Those who, for whatever reason, choose to absent themselves from the fellowship will not be nearly as ready to respond to the invitation. And no, I'm not talking about taking a Sunday off for vacation or, or being sick. I'm talking about those who habitually make themselves absent from the body of Christ on a Sunday. So make yourselves available. Second, learn all you can about your faith tradition. You know, our equipping the saints classes is a place where we become better disciples, learning more about what Jesus wants us to know. Sunday school is a place for that. Midweek Bible studies, personal devotions, lots of places. All the surveys 
indicate that biblical literacy is at a very low ebb these days and it's still going down and that's sad. You know the text, the gospel text does not tell us how Peter and James and John, how they recognized Moses and Elijah, but they did recognize Moses and Elijah and there's a reason for that because they knew how incredibly important these men were because they had learned it in their community of faith. Had they never heard of Moses and Elijah, the moment on the mountain would not have been nearly as special. And then third, listen to Jesus. Only twice in the Gospels does the voice of God literally speak from the heavens. One, once at Jesus' baptism and then the second time here on the Mount of Transfiguration. God minces no words. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Listen to him. We hear him when we worship. Listen to him. We hear him when we study scripture. Listen to him. We hear him in the voice of other Christians. Listen to him. Listen to him. It is so easy to listen to other voices to the point of drowning Jesus out. That's not good. Listen to Jesus. Fourth, remember where your Christian ministry is. Again, it's not on the mountaintop. It is in the valley. The church is the only institution I know of that exists primarily for the sake of those outside of it. When we listen to Jesus, we hear him say to us, go and make disciples. Hence our equipping the saints ministry here at St. Timothy's. And then one final suggestion, and this I get not from the text, but from speculation of, that has grown out of my lifetime of 48 years of observation. I, I know. I do lie a lot, but not about the gospel. If we would be truly prepared for Christ's invitation to go up on the mountain with him, we must have about us a sense of joyous expectancy. When we come to this holy place every morning, week by week by week by week, we should prayerfully begin our trip through these doors ready not to run into someone who you'd rather not see, thank you very much, not to sing a hymn or song of praise you don't know and would rather not learn, not to mumble through a prayer and a creed without thought, not to suffer through a sermon that somehow misses you. No, rather come in ready to meet Jesus in a person, in a song, in a word, in a sacrament. Come in ready to meet Jesus. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that attitude really is everything. When the attitude is right, then the invitation can come and be received with the joy it deserves. And so five suggestions in preparation for a trip to the mountaintop. Make yourself available 
Learn all you can about your faith tradition. Listen to Jesus. Remember that where you live and work, that is your mission field. And finally, attitude. When you prepare in these ways, then you will be ready when the wow of God presents itself to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.